One of the greatest threats to our species and the planet is global warming. And because it is created mostly by a handful of nations and yet a global problem that affects all of us, the only way to address it is collectively. COP21, the UN Climate Change Conference in Paris, is that place where decisions could be made. And it is our focus in this hour here today on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Every year, the Conference of Parties, or COP, better known as the United Nations, meet in a city somewhere in the world to discuss sustainability and how to keep our planet healthy. Climate change, as one of the greatest threats our species has ever faced, is of course one of the main topics. The conference is held in Paris this year, in the first week of December, and the hopes and fears, as always, are extremely high. Will it change anything? We'll be hearing from El Gore's organization about their efforts at this year's conference in this hour of an organic conversation, COP21, the UN Climate Change Conference in Paris. But let's start off with a comment that we've got from one of our listeners. Yes, Jill reached out to us on Facebook with a question about fish, which was really timely. She says, what are your rules when buying salmon or other healthy <laughs> fish? Is it farmed, wild caught? What, where should it be wild caught from? Can you give some examples about locations? You know, she really wants to maximize her health and make sure that her choices protect the environment and um, create the least ecological impact. So we absolutely salute you, Jill, for reaching out and sharing your mindful pursuits. And actually, Helga had a really great answer for this. Well, our rules is kind of funny. What are our rules? Um, there are no real rules, but there are definitely some aspects to consider. We had two great episodes on the topic of fish and fishing. One is called Gone Fishing, Fishing Gone. And the other one is just called Fish with an expert on the topic from the from a restaurant. Kenny Belloff. Exactly, yeah. here in Northern California in Sausalito that is called Fish. And it's all sustainable seafood. Only sustainable choices are on the menu. So he really shed light on the, the differences when you, when you see wild caught versus farmed and what is better and what is not. As a general rule... And here we come with a rule. <laughs> as far as purchasing fish is concerned, wild cod is better. She was particularly asking around salmon. Wild caught salmon is preferable over farmed. Even though farmed seems to make a lot of sense and not to decimate our wild salmon population further, the only organic farmed salmon operation that is currently selling in the U.S. is from Scotland, and it's pretty pricey. All other farmed fish, whether it's salmon or something else, has little to no regulation whatsoever, and it's not what we could recommend. There's no farmed fish standard yet, unfortunately. So issues such as antibiotic overuse, especially when it comes to salmon, the waste of tens of thousands of salmon confined in a net in a small pen, overcrowded, changing the water in that fjord in Norway. I've seen now on menus, you know, yeah, our salmon is from Norway. From a European point of view, that's the salmon we always were asked to avoid in Germany. Mm. That's the one that where colorings are added. So farming is not an ecological solution often. 
when it comes to open water fish, the lower you go in the food chain, uh, say sardines over mahi-mahi, for example, the better. Those small, smaller fish, they eat krill. There's less contamination. There's uh, less heavy metals that you can find in the meat. So be small in the food chain. Go to the feeding fish rather than the, the one big fish at the end. For salmon alone, one of the healthiest species is sockeye. It only eats krill again and the smallest of water critters. And there's still a fairly ro robust population, but it really depends on where you are. Always know your farmer, know your fisherman, and those terms like line caught, line caught could be a mile-long line with 200 hooks really catching anything that bites the bait. So a small sustainable netting operation that's still wild fishes, that's also way better than trolling, which destroys the ocean floor and really catches anything that gets caught in the net and then gets thrown overboard as bycatch. And that's often the majority of what is being caught, actually. So know your fishermen, ask for sustainable options. If you are near water, whether that's a lake or the ocean, there are sustainable methods and sustainable species that we can still eat and not destroy the environment and that are the healthier options. So that's a little bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot bit of a... Feedback. No, it's a really informative. <laughs> and and I, and I love that you brought up those episodes we did with Kenny Belloff. The most recent one, as you said, was called Fish, The Benefit of Boundaries. And he's a really interesting and funny guy. So for me as a vegetarian, you know, fish is a, what's happening and the ecological front is interesting, but it's not necessarily a topic that gets me very excited. But this is an easy episode to listen to because he's just, this is his passion and he talks about it in a very engaging way. And Jill, thank you so much for writing us. She said at the end of her question, I know I can come to you for all the best answers. Well, you make us better by asking great <laughs> questions. So thank you so much for and writing. And the topics are so complex. Like when you knew, when you read line card, you would think, oh, that's much better than a big net. But no, line card could mean 200 hooks. So like the, the detail is just important. And it's a complex world. And um, these are complex issues. So we just help to address them. And if you have questions or concerns or suggestions, please contact us through facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. That's a great way. There's a comment line where you can place a direct comment to us or comment on one of our posts, of course, or via email that is contact at organic media network, all one word, contact at organic media network.com. And this is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Thanks again to Jill. And our main focus in this hour is COP21, the UN Climate Change Conference in Paris, coming up at the very end of November, starting on November 30th for the first week of December. That's our main focus. But as always, we are starting the show off with an update from the world of health and beauty. Sita, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Here's Sitarani Palomar and her holistic bite. Well, a handful of weeks or maybe even months ago, I was talking about that concept of desert island food. What is the one food you could eat for the rest of your life? And oh, just I never. Do you remember me talking about that? So mine is rice with soy sauce. <laughs> it's just so basic. And this is not about nutritional value. It's just something that you love. It's just like comfort food for you. So true to form, I was making a big pot of rice this past weekend so that I could have some on hand whenever I needed a quick snack or meal. <laughs> my rice with soy sauce. And I had all of this leftover rice. And I was thinking about talking about what to do with your leftovers. And somehow, as I started writing my holistic bite, I wrote down the word reruns. 
which is really not a word you use for leftovers, but it reminded me that, you know, some people really love to watch old episodes of television over and over again. They love the reruns because it's so comforting. Well, love your leftovers too. And if you're being smart and cooking larger quantities, there's a lot you can do with leftover things. So today I want to talk about four things you can do with leftover rice. And one thing that I thought about when I saw this rice that I made, I had also made chia pudding that same weekend. And so I thought I could combine these two things and make rice pudding. So if you go back to a holistic bite, or if you check out on our blog, or actually on Credo Beauty's blog, which is where I wrote the recipe for a Mexican chocolate chia pudding, you can add rice to this recipe. And then as the chia soaks all of this great hemp milk and thickens it, it's also going to pull in all of this rice. And then you have a rice pudding that also has chia in it, which is high in omega-3. So that's one thing you can do with your leftover rice. You can also saute some vegetables and then take the rice and form these little croquettes that you pan fry in a little bit of olive oil. That is really savory and delicious. And for me, because I tend to crave rice and soy sauce, the croquettes that I make usually tend to have an Asian theme. So I'll use carrots and I'll use peas and I'll use some soy sauce to put it all together and give it a great flavor. Maybe some Chinese five spice, something spicy, anything like that would really give it a a uniqueness and make it a main dish for later in the week. You can also make a rice casserole. My mom used to make something with cheese and broccoli when I was little that I just loved. But you can do something with sauteed mushrooms and wilted spinach, just whatever veggies you have on hand. Put it together, put it in the oven, heat it up, and have that as a great side dish. And you can also add, saute some onions and some green peppers. You can add cooked beans, tomatoes, spices, and put together a big pot of chili. Or you could use that to make like a pho enchilada, not using corn tortillas, just using rice as your grain. And, you know, recently we did an episode on sleep and how to promote better sleep because grains like rice, complex carbohydrates actually have tryptophan in them. So they help to produce serotonin, which calms you down and gets you to sleep. So some people actually recommend having carbs with your dinner time to help get you into that more restful time of night and get a good night's sleep. So consider making yourself a big pot of rice and uh, using it throughout the week in lots of unique ways. Ask your family for some of their favorite things and see what you can do with those leftovers. And that's this week's Holistic Bite. Wonderful. Thank you, Sita. Yeah, I love that. I think leftovers are a wonderful way. We had a great episode on gluten-free cooking, too, just a couple weeks, few weeks back recently. And she was saying, you know, eating the leftovers always as a standard practice as breakfast the morning after dinner. You know, if you really plan for that, if you intentionally cook more to eat it again, it's a wonderful way to cut work and use everything you, you know, Absolutely. You have. Well, and you know, in some cases, like brown rice takes a bit of time to cook. It takes about 45 minutes. And so if you cook a lot of it at once, instead of going through, you know, that length of time to prepare it and just prepare a small yeah, amount, you have a lot of clever ways That's to, right. yeah, exactly. Great. Thank you, Sita. That's Sita Rani Paloma and her holistic bite. COP21. The UN Climate Change Conference in Paris is our main focus in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilbert. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. That and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit Earl's Organic. 
Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. COP, COP21, the UN Climate Change Conference in Paris. Coming up in December is our focus in this hour. And with us now is Ken Berlin, the president and CEO of the Climate Reality Project out of Washington, D.C. Ken, do we have you on the line? Yes, you do. Thank you for making the time. I know these are just a few weeks left before Paris is coming up the 21st UN Climate Change Conference, and you have really dedicated your entire career and your life to the environment. Why is this specific work of climate change so important to you? I think climate change is really critically important because it really threatens to overwhelm all of the other work we've done on environment. I've been working since the early 1970s to deal with issues like air pollution, species extinction, land preservation, And climate change threatens to really change the basic environment in which we're living and therefore make it very, very difficult for all the gains we've made to stay in place. It really does create an existential threat to the work that we've all done on this and to all people, of course. So, Ken, this is a this is a really crucial thing for us to be thinking about in general. All year round, we should be thinking about this topic. But what stoked the fire for us to have this conversation with you today is the upcoming COP21 United Nations Climate Change Conference for a universal climate agreement. It's happening beginning November 30th and through the first week of December. And let's start there. What is this event about and who's attending? We expect about 194 countries to attend the event. People remember in 1992, the world entered into an agreement to address climate change, and they've been trying to strengthen it really ever since. This is the 21st meeting of the parties to the event. That's what COP means, Conference of the Parties, and this is the 21st one. And this is the one where we think we're finally going to be able to get all the nations in the world to agree to take action on climate change. The way it's working out is every country has been asked to submit their, what they are willing to do to admit to, to decrease their emissions. So far, 150 countries have submitted emission reduction targets. We expect most, if not all, of the rest to do that. So this is a really critical meeting. It will be attended by environmental and civil society leaders from around the world. We expect about 10,000 people there. And it's really a very, very critical address in man's effort to protect the environment and how to address climate change. And just to, to give it a scope, you said 194 countries, depending on whether or not you accept Taiwan's independence from China, there are only 195 countries on this planet. So you are saying actually every every single country is present. I think so. That's amazing. That might be the only and first and ever conference where that is the case. What is at stake? I know a few months ago, I believe in, in May of this year, we broke 400 parts per million of CO2, one of the main contributors for global warming and climate change, of course, one of the critical greenhouse gases among methane and a few others. But 
350, there are organizations, actually 350.org, that have advocated or, or warned us that that would be a number that the planet can barely hold. We should not go beyond 350. Now we are beyond 400. What is at stake at this conference? If this were to fail, of course, we can hope for another year next year. But where are we in the overall climate change debate and the progress that is being made that you are seeing as one of the key experts in this field? Yeah, if this if this conference succeeds, and we're, and we're very confident it will succeed, what is likely to happen is that all the countries in the world, as I said, will agree to reduce their emissions by a certain amount. It's still not going to be the amount of emission reductions we need, even to keep global warming below 450 parts per million, let alone the 350 parts that you just mentioned. But it will put us on the path to be able to achieve that, and we're hoping that there'll be a five-year review period where countries can come in and strengthen their emission reduction targets. And we think that we're getting close to the critical mass we need for countries to finally do everything they need to first stop their emissions and then reduce it. So the first task we face is to stop the increase in emissions in the atmosphere. We're going up from 400. Once we do that, then we can try and start going down again towards the 350 level. But the first goal is to keep us at 450 parts per million. If this event works, we're at least on the path to do that. We're not guaranteed, but we're on the path to do it. If it fails, we've suffered a setback of several more years. And every time we suffer a setback on this, it gets harder and harder to achieve the goals we're setting uh, for ourselves. This is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we're speaking with Ken Berlin, the president and CEO of the Climate Reality Project, Al Gore's nonprofit out of Washington, D.C., really the leader in this overall conversation about climate change and what must happen. Ken, when you said we, if, if we don't reach an agreement at this event at COP21, it's going to set us back for a few years. How is that? Why is that? What would, what would, why would there be a few years setback? Well, essentially, the nation of the world are coming together and say we're willing to do the following. We're willing to do A, B, and C. If there's no agreement, then, of course, that all falls apart. Countries will still do things. I mean, the United States is not going to stop its work on climate change if we don't have this agreement, nor will other countries. But by working together, we obviously tremendously increase our chance to get this done. We'll put a, stru a structure in place where we've started and we have a structure so that we can then go on and strengthen it. If we don't have an agreement, obviously that becomes much, much more difficult. Countries will be on their own. They'll be fighting about it. Uh, it will be much harder to achieve our goals. But does this event happen every year? I know last year there was one in Lima, so there will be one again next year. It's just constantly trying to reach some kind of agreement that everybody is saying together this is going to make a sizable difference. Yeah, the, the Lima conference was not trying to do what we're doing on this. The Lima conference was considered a step to the conference that's taking place this year. Uh -huh. So the Lima conference, they negotiated the first draft, working draft of the agreement. We're, all gonna, we're trying to get the rest of the world to sign in December of this year. So this is one of the times, there have been several others where countries have tried to come up with a definitive agreement. They haven't succeeded beyond that. They, they had 1992, they had the Kyoto Protocol in 1997. But since then, we've not come up with a new agreement. And this is the time when we think we will finally succeed in doing that. COP, COP21, the UN Climate Change Conference in Paris is our topic in this hour here on Inorganic Conversation, and we are speaking again with Ken Berlin, the president and CEO of the Climate Reality Project. That's climaterealityproject.org, all one word. 
Ken, there was a lot of finger pointing in the past. I remember Copenhagen, of course, which some called a disaster. I'm not the person who usually goes for win everything or lose everything. I, I know that good work is hard and laborsome and takes a lot of attention and patience. And yet there is a responsibility of large industrial nations, which account for the vast majority of greenhouse gas emissions, to do more than smaller countries. And that has been the problem. The, the standards that have been discussed could either not be reached or were just not a problem for small non-industrial countries. And yet they had to make contributions that comparatively to large countries seemed outrageous. How do you feel the United States as a leader of these Western highly industrialized nations is prepared and willing to really take a stance and show some world leadership? I think the United States is taking a leadership role in these negotiations. We've committed to reduce our emissions by between 26% and 28% of 2005 levels by 2025. And we're passing domestic measures like the Clean Power Plan that regulates power plants that will enable us to do that. The more important thing is, I think, in the United States, we're going to really blow through the targets we have. We are now on the path to transitioning to clean energy economy. The economics are changing. Renewable energy is becoming more competitive every day. By the end of this decade, we think it'll be fully competitive. We think when that happens, everything starts to change in the United States and in the rest of the world. So we're very confident that our initial emission reduction targets will eventually be strengthened. And I think the rest of the world has really accepted that. We've negotiated a very good agreement with China. China is for the first time committed to significant emission uh, reductions. Uh, India is coming in with targets. So we think all the pieces are in place for that to happen. The world does need United States leadership. We're, in fact, showing that leadership. I think we'll be able to strengthen that uh, in the years ahead. That's great to hear. And we want to hear from you what are some things the listener can do to support your work and to perhaps have some impact on climate change themselves. All that when we come back after the break. This is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our focus in this hour is the UN Climate Change Conference in Paris coming up at the very last day of November and then the first week of December in this year. Lots of hopes and fears are hinging around the work of people like Ken Berlin, the president and CEO of the Climate Reality Project, who's joining us today. Thank you so much for making time for this, Ken, and please stay on the line. We'll be right back with more. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com.
And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. It's all about climate change in this hour. The UN Climate Change Conference in Paris is coming up in just a few weeks. And that is the focus on this show. We have the Climate Reality Project president and CEO, Ken Berlin, with us on the line, who's joining us, I think, sitting in his car at an airport as part of his work to get ready for the conference. Again, Ken, thank you so much for making time. And Al Gore has inspired us, of course, years and years and years ago when he made this, really, it was it was his work to, to make it a, a public debate all of a sudden. His work changed that awareness in society. And so what I've heard since is that capping global warming or greenhouse gas emissions in this case would not be enough. It's a critical step, of course, but we have to, for example, sequester CO2 in soil in order to, to help with that balance. Like just capping it would not be enough, quick enough to, to make enough of an impact. Can you give us an overall landscape of what needs to happen from your perspective, both on the political agenda, <laughs> renewables, and what else is happening that's critical? Yes, the first step we have to the first thing we have to do, of course, is to cap emissions. Until we cap emissions, we can't start reducing them. So we need to, as quickly as we can, stop the increase in CO2 in the atmosphere. It's about 400 plus per million now and is increasing by two or three plus per million each year. We have to stop it so that we get a cap. When that happens, we can then start figuring out how we can start removing CO2 from the atmosphere mm. through sequestration in soil forest. We'd have to have major efforts at reforestation to do that. And we don't really know what the safe limit is. Obviously, climate change is having severe impacts now. It's going to continue to have severe impacts. We're trying now to avoid the most severe impacts. We're trying to avoid something that becomes irreversible and makes this planet very, very difficult to inhabit. So that's what we're all working to do. And again, the faster we can address this, the faster we can slow down and, and stop our emissions the faster we can start reversing that, the better off we'll be. When you're getting ready now, in your mind, I know you have a practical agenda of really the work to do, but when you look at the practical outcomes or the conference in itself, what are what are your hopes? What can we expect from the event? Yeah, here, here's what I think we would like to see happen and what we expect to happen. First, we don't think we're getting an agreement that completely solves the problem and gets to the point where we can cap our emissions. We don't think the submissions countries are making are strong enough yet, and we don't think the political will out there is quite strong enough yet. So what we're hoping for is an agreement that gets us a, a very, very good start on that, and then provides that in five years, and every five years, every country will come back and review their commitments and agree to strengthen them. And the reason we think that's so important is, as renewable energy becomes more competitive, people can strengthen their commitments every year. It will become easier and easier to transition away from fossil fuels to a clean energy economy. Obviously, the faster we can do that, the better. But we think that by 2020, we can take the next step and get us almost all the way we need to be to first cap our emissions and keep it at a lower level. Um, and then every five years, countries will come back and work on that. Meanwhile, we'll have to do the research and the studies on how we can start removing uh, CO2 from the atmosphere if we want to start going back down to 350 parts per million, probably by natural sources through forestry and agriculture uh, and steps like that where the environment itself pulls CO2 out of the air. And you sound pretty confident. I mean, I, <laughs> I think you are a pretty confident man to begin with. But when you really look at the uh, climate change issue, do you, are you hopeful, honestly? I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to reach an international agreement that will be able to cap CO2 
below 450 parts per million. Getting it down will be much, much more difficult below that. And, you know, we'll have to see the consequences of that mm-hmm. as the consequences get worse and as our ability to transition to clean energy and to remove CO2 from the atmosphere becomes better, a chance to increase of actually starting to get to the level we need to start reversing the impacts of climate change is happening. But I am very confident overall that we'll be able to at least meet the goal of these negotiations, which is to keep it at uh, CO2 emissions, well, keep the impact of global warming below 2 degrees centigrade. Yeah, sounds like hopeful and realistic at the same time. In well, regard to well, what it sounds people like can do, Sita. What, it sounds like what, it, what is happening here is creating a really strong foundation for a progressive agreement that will be revisited and improved and allow us to make great strides together as a, as a world. It's like a starting point almost. Yeah, so I've yeah wa- that's, that's putting it perfectly. Well, thank you. And I have one more question for you that I want to kind of back into via an analogy here. In California, we're experiencing record drought, and there's been a lot of education about how people, everyday people can reduce water consumption, things like taking shorter showers, um, not serving water at food establishments unless it's requested, not washing your cars or watering your lawns, et cetera, et cetera. But there are also people who are talking about these as essentially surface solutions because what, they, they, what they're really seeing is that while every one of these measures will help, the real solutions for drought are going to come from things like industrial agriculture or other things that are using water on such a wider scale that are not necessarily obvious to the citizens to change themselves. So I'm looking at this same perspective on climate change. And people are reducing consumption with hybrid vehicles and carpooling and buying organic food and getting more energy energy efficient appliances. But my question is, are the real solutions really going to be from bigger decisions and policies? I mean, what is it that's going to keep citizens from feeling discouraged that no matter how much they change their life to be more sustainable, their actions ultimately are not going to move the needle enough to make the kind of difference that's necessary to protect the planet? Well, I think we have to do, people have to do two things to be successful in addressing this. First, the United States, we have to work together to change the politics of climate change. We do need bigger solutions. And what do I mean by changing the politics of climate change? Right now, if you look at the polls, about 70% of Americans say they want action on climate change. Yet, we're not getting it. There's obviously bitter opposition to it in Congress. And many politicians, even Democratic politicians, have been afraid of the issue. To change that, people have to get active. The problem, we think, is the reason why, when you have 70% there's no political action, is that enough, not enough people are making this an issue that they vote on, an issue that they tell their representatives is critical to them and they want action on. We need to get those number of people, that number of people do that up. Probably it's only 1% or 2% now. We've got to really increase that very, very rapidly. And we're trying to do that at Climate Reality Project by training what we call climate leaders. We train people. They, they, this last year they did 2,900 presentations. We're working on peer-to-peer audiences, business-to-businessmen, farmers-to-farmers, uh, Hispanics-to-Hispanics, uh, African-Americans to African-Americans, to really convince people to become active in this and to let their politicians know. We don't need everybody, but we've got to get that to a 5 or 10% level. When we change the politics of climate change, that has to then be helped by people taking measures to be efficient. If we can increase energy efficiency in our homes, in our businesses, in our agricultural products, then, in fact, we can, as individuals, also contribute to that. But I do agree that doing that alone is not enough. People have to do both. They have to become active, and they have to take efforts on their own to reduce their consumption of energy. If we all do that, I think we'll have success in addressing this issue. 
And of course, if somebody doesn't wash their car or water their lawn f to preserve water, it's not just the gallons saved. It's the message that's being sent that this matters enough to create a behavioral change in society. I would think that that message of 5% means much more than the 5%. It's not the work that is getting done, but that there is a critical mass growing in the United States and around the world where people say, this needs to be a topic now every day in my life. Absolutely. And look, all we can do as individuals is take action. If we take action on our own, it will have an impact. And if millions of people take action together, as will happen, then those millions of people working together will, in fact, solve the problem. So everybody's got to take that action on their own. But they'll, but they'll be accompanied by people all over doing the same thing. And together, we can, we can ho hopefully solve this problem. Ken, I think this is the clearest conversation I've ever heard on this topic. I so appreciate you making the time to be here with us and inspiring us on what we can do and making it feel like it's tangible and also the work that you're doing over at COP21 next month. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and uh, I've enjoyed the conversation. How can people d directly support you? I just want to tag on that shout out to your work really and your organization, the climaterealityproject.org. You have a few weeks left to prepare. I know you barely get sleep. We just had an episode <laughs> on actually on sleep, if you, <laughs> if you need to listen to that. Uh, but thank you for going and thank you for representing us. How can people directly support your work right now? What do you need? Well, one thing they can do right now is on our website, we have a petition that we're trying to get millions of people to sign uh, to world leaders, basically demanding they take action in the Paris negotiations to, to agree To, to sign a strong agreement on climate change in Paris. If they can sign that petition, that'll be a very, very big help. We would then get their names, and they'll put their email, and then we will contact everybody and ask them to take additional action to become involved in our work. And in general, they can go to our website and find out how to, how to become active and become involved at climaterealityproject.org. Wonderful. Okay, great. That's such a perfect shout out. And we will get the word out climaterealityproject.org. Again, the website. That's the CEO and president of the Climate Reality Project out of Washington, D.C., Ken Berlin. Ken, good luck. Thank you for joining us today. And we'll follow up with you after the conference. Great. Thank you very much. Everybody. Thank Thanks, you. Ken. Be safe. Bye. 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 Such good work. Such good work. You know, their site is so informative. There's a lot. It's not one of those sites that overwhelms you with information that you're just unable to take anything away from it. And I'm actually on this page right now. That's going to be the petition to help get the world leaders to sign a really strong agreement in Paris. And we yeah. encourage you to do the same. And how wonderful that, you know, this really kudos to Al Gore as a vice president to make this his career now to advocate on behalf of the environment on the world, really. And oh, it gives me chills. 195 countries. That's unbelievable. That's really maybe the only conference ever where every country on this planet is present. So uh, my European heart is singing. That's in Paris. Good luck. I hope it's a safe conference, of course. And good change will be made. Thanks again, Ken Berlin. And agriculture, of course, a huge part. We touched on soil carbon sequestrations, the soil ability to pull carbon, to pull CO2 out of the atmosphere and turn it into root growth and life in the soil, a natural cycle that is happening every year anyway, but we can foster that with sustainable practices. What's in season is next in just a minute. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Stay tuned.
Love that song. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helgi Hilbert. <laughs> and I'm Sitarani Palomar. <laughs> Our topic in this hour main focus is COP21, COP21, the Conference of the Parties, the UN Climate Change Conference in Paris, November 30th throughout the first week of December. Good luck again for everyone who's going. May Good we luck find, for all of us. Yeah. A great agreement to start off with. Again, climaterealityproject.org, the website, amazing work. The president CEO, Ken Berlin, is going. 10,000 people will be there. May there be amazing change be made. Healthy soil, healthy food, healthy carbon sequestered into the soil. <laughs> We're talking about the labor of love, the product out of sustainable agricultural practices. Here is what's in season. And with us, actually, here in the studio is the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Organic Earl Herrick, the founder and owner of Earl's Organic Produce. And Earl, wow, a treat to have you back in the studio. I think that marks week three. And we had such a killer episode with you last week on fall produce with two of your fruit buyers, Christy Biddle and Rodrigo Velasquez. Big shout out to them. They did such a beautiful job. This explaining really the intricacies of dealing daily with, with produce, what's happening in nature, and uh, you just never know. From year after year to week to week, it's it's an ever-changing picture. We have you back. We, we spend an hour on the bounty of the harvest last week, and yet there's already a new item that is starting to come in. So that perfect. That was not topic last week at all, actually, and it's one of your favorites. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> Maybe not one of, but no, the yeah, that's kind of favorite. silly to say. Oh, this, this, this is true. This is true. <laughs> I actually have a couple small uh, trees in in my front yard in big uh, in big pots, and it's great to have them out there. Yeah, this is my favorite. It's my favorite two months of the year for this reason. November and December, it's they sometimes stretch into into January, but it's, we're talking about a Satsuma Mandarin, and uh, I have the great pleasure of dealing with I believe the the best grower that I've ever found with this with this product is up in Porterville, which is north of Sacramento, I think the middle of the state north, and it's Side Hill Citrus, and the man's name is Rich Ferreira. Uh, he's got about 20 acres, and he, and literally on the side of the hill is where his fruit is. And I don't know if it's the rootstock, if it's the geography, the environment. The soil. It, 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 it just produces. And I'm not talking about just that he has a little window. From day one, the first shipment he sends me, which in citrus, generally there's a there's a bit of a ramp up. Yeah. All right, yeah, we're, we're, Too much we, acid, not enough sugar, whatever. Yeah, right. you got to be a little forgiving, not 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 riches you get them the day one they come in and you open and you, and you open this wonderful jewel and bingo right from the get-go now they will only get better and and what a great prize <laughs> that it is from bingo to better wow from <laughs> bingo to better Woo! i like that but it is one i mean you are dealing with several hundred produce items throughout the year 300 400 500 produce items easy or more yeah or more why is this one really yeah. the one? Like, and not yeah. like next week, it's something else that's mm -hmm. the one. We yeah. know we've worked with you for years. Mm -hmm. This is your favorite item. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, a bunch of reasons. One is that it's so darn easy to peel. I mean, it is, is totally painless. There's no seeds. And they're, and they're handy. I mean, they're 
you could put five of them in your pocket. I go my standard procedures. I go out for a hike and I put about five or six and I just peel them, eat them, throw them around. They're easy to catch. They're bulletproof. They're, they're wonderful pieces of fruit and they're wonderful. They're high in vitamin C, high in synephrine. We've had that conversation and it is so perfect. Of course, this is mother nature at its best. This time of year, people start getting sniffles and sneezes. Synephrine, bingo, knocks it right out. But this is something that you can eat in mass quantity, honestly, because, exactly. because they're easy to peel, because they don't have seeds, they're just eminently eatable. And yes. you can do quite a few at a time. And no so it's something that's really going to um, fortify your immune system. Yeah, it really. But, you know, they are amazing peaches. They're amazing, yes. you know, cherries. What, but, uh, but what is it about this one that just well, is? We, I th- well, we could we could have, you know canvas just our the three of us right here. We have peaches sometimes that are not very good. Mm-hmm. We're a little disappointed. Oh, so you know, good. they're a little mealy or sure. they're uh, they're yeah. not quite. Do- Tatsumas. That is there for every time, mm-hmm. every time, and or nice. and over a long period of time. We're talking about two months of steady, reliable. That is my go-to. I mean, there's navels that are out there, the end of Valencia sure. crop. There's mineolas that are come on. Sorry about pounding the table there. Um, <laughs> you're excited. You're excited. <laughs> we get that. And it is. And what's so great too? It, this is the advent. This is the very threshold of the citrus season, and some of the best citrus comes out right now. So what a great introduction to it. A, a reminder once again. Here is what we have for you. Kind of starting the end of the year, really, right for you. This is. Yeah. This is. Well, it's it heralds in the the. Uh, uh, the holiday season. Well, but for you as a produce buyer, knowing that all your hard work throughout the year kind of is crowned with this last crop of satsumas. I like that's that. That's just beautiful. That I mean, if this was in May, it would be in the middle of the, you know, yeah. in the middle of your work's year. But this well, is kind of the final, you know, this is your little sugar treat at the end. It's really true <laughs> because you're going into a season that gets... Uh, it's a little less diversified. You got citrus and apples in the in the fruit, and a little bit of berries. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's and it's it's stable. Uh-huh. It's always going to be there. And the growers that we deal with, about a half a dozen of them, they put out wonderful fruit day in and day out. You know, talking about what makes this such a special item for me is that it is so sweet and so tart. And that is what I love. Like, it's just like candy. Because I feel like the Satsuma Mandarin has as much sugar as a navel orange in, like, half the size. Mm. So it's totally this condensed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's not just sweet where you can eat, like, one and feel like you're on a sugar high. It's really balanced with this this acid with this tartness how's this season for satsumas do we know already or yeah. is that too early well they've just, just come starting, out right yeah the la- last week or so uh the it's a great season I've, the growers i've talked to again it's a, a bit of the upside on the drought uh we're, mm. we're not challenged with that rain which is uh, uh makes for a difficult citrus season i think it uh, brings the uh, the fruit into focus just a little more defined so it's going to be a great year uh, all the growers that we're dealing with are, ha- are expecting very good crops so the only thing that might bring bring trouble is if we do get some december rains but ultimately that balances itself out we're, I mean, we it, need it it's so funny you, you we have mentioned this a few times on the show now that a stressed produce item is actually a better produce item right they produce more sugars they mm-hmm. produ- produce more flavor yep. somehow they want to be more attractive because biologically speaking, mm. they would be eaten by somebody else, and then mm-hmm. the seeds would be, you know, 
distributed throughout the region. That's just a result of ecology. Like, yep. you know, if you're stressed, you need to reproduce. And the way produce reproduces is by getting better. So it's more attractive. Mm. Sita, do you have a, we almost out of time, but do you have a f uh, special tried and true thing to do with Vatsumas? No, no I just eat them. Eat? Actually, one thing that I really love to do is um, for dinner. It's like this time of year. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, which is the dark leafy greens. Oh, yeah. I like to, really simple. Mm. I take collard greens because they're so hearty. And I um, roll them up like cigars after I've taken out the stem. And then cut them into these ribbons and marinate them with a little bit of olive oil and tamari, which I talked about last week. And it makes like this little kind of noodle alternative and I eat it with chopsticks because I love to eat everything with chopsticks. I eat that and I eat satsumas. I get myself two giant bowls. One is filled with marinated collards and the other is filled with satsumas. And that is my dinner. And I will eat as much as I want. And it feels so good because... Vitamin C helps with the absorption of iron. And so there, these yeah. two things working in tandem is so good for your health, and it feels right in my body this time of year. And if you do use tamari instead of soy sauce, you get something that's completely vegan, completely gluten-free, gluten -free, and maybe the most nutrient-dense And it's all I want to eat every night eat. for yeah. weeks and weeks on end this time oh, of year. This so is good. what Mineral this is my rich. staple because it's just... It's perfect. Right. That's a nice salad using some uh, bitters, whether it's a radicchio, Belgian mandaria, chicory, and then segmenting uh, uh, satsuma in oh. there. That's a very nice, simple, uh, Balance of enriched, enriched uh, salad. Yeah. Thank you. You, you know, I, I want one last thing yeah. is if you eat, if you have one that isn't quite sweet enough for you or somehow is off, keep on eating them. That's merely an aberrated piece of fruit. Perfect. Like Satsumas, it's where it's at. Thank you, Earl. Thank you, Earl. Hey, okay, my pleasure. I tell you, it's <laughs> almost like this is a reward from being on the road and visiting those growers to be able to come back and sit in the studio yeah. with you too. It's totally, Thank totally you. a reward for us. Yeah. So great. <laughs> you feel the same way. It's <laughs> Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce. Check it out, earlsorganic.com. Amazing multi-week postings on what is coming into the produce dock all organic, of course, and then you will find that just a day later or so in your store. Hopefully, if you're in this rough geographical region of the Western United States, but either way, it will hit your store soon if you saw it on Earl's website. That's earlsorganic.com. And your produce isn't just in California. It's in Nevada and I hear also in Tennessee now. Yes, we were able to... Shout uh, out to the turnip truck. Turnip truck in Nashville. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and that is an ongoing organic conversation. Thanks for coming in, Earl. My pleasure. <laughs> ah, so great. Satsumas. And how interesting to come from from fish in the beginning, sustainable seafood as a, a listener topic, to climate change, to sustainable agriculture. And like I, I love how all these things are completely interwoven and we can cover it in one hour. Love you. Have you ever listened to an organic conversation? Do well, you know what like this that? is about? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, about nature, ecology, recipes from the land. Stories, <laughs> stories, stories from, from the, the land. land. Recipes. <laughs> <laughs> Recipes from the land, yeah. It's all the same. It's all the same, interwoven, connected. Our main focus, COP21, COP21, the UN Climate Change Conference in Paris. Yeah, it was a really good conversation. I think this is a complex topic, and most of the time I feel like all of the points stay surface. They seem so, they stay so political. And I really think Ken dug in and gave us some really detailed information about what's happening. And honestly, I don't want to say, or I'm glad somebody else is doing it, but 
because we all have a huge responsibility in climate change work, of course, and to support the work that is being done and to become involved, as he said, again, climaterealityproject.org, where you can get more informed and you can become a climate change champion and even advocate or teacher to others, like lots of ways to become a leader in this work or contribute greatly. But it's wonderful to know that there are 10,000 people gathering and that there are organizations like the Climate Reality Project whose main focus is to work on our behalf on climate change. Mm -hmm, it's really true. now there is an infrastructure of support and of resistance to you know keep things the way they are to create wonderful changes that that's somebody's profession. It's just wonderful to know that somebody like Ken Berlin leads this effort to you know, daily look at this issue and work on our behalf. Yeah, Wonderful. I think it's really difficult work having to negotiate with everybody else to get to certain standards and to be watching where we're headed. And I also think that there's a certain amount of difficulty in, in us having to make the choice every day to choose to do the sustainable thing, to reduce consumption. And, you know, I do appreciate what you were saying, Helga, about how everything on this show is interconnected. Well, yes, that's true, actually, because when you are purchasing sustainable seafood, when you are purchasing organic food, when you are not cleaning your house with toxins, all of these things contribute to this overall load that changes the health of our planet. And so An Organic Conversation is ultimately a show about climate change as much as it is a show about, you know, yeah. food and health and wellness and getting better sleep and everything. And all these problems, whether we talk about a small nonprofit that changes equality in Oakland or a really global problem that affects everyone on this planet, all these problems are our problems. You know, it doesn't really matter. It, it's it's a worldwide conversation, whatever mm -hmm. the topic may be. And yeah, I, I don't know how Paris will go with 195 countries. The, the cultural differences and the historical differences and the economic differences and the developmental differences. And it's it's just amazing to find a dialogue there where everyone can agree. It's beautiful, actually. It, the work itself is just beautiful. One but, world. Yeah, one world really. community. I always dreamt of it like a, a one world government, you know, because all the problems we create affect somebody else somewhere else. And so whether it's global warming or food or food grown half around the globe or import and export, really, they're almost and there are organizations and standards that that aim to orchestrate kind of that international dialogue and trade and all that. But wouldn't it be it seems wonderful if there was a, a really non biased, non corrupt world government that would decide those bigger issues on that as a you know as a standing body to manage that ongoingly not just once a year and then if it fails you have to go back next year of course but yeah maybe we come to that kind of a world government for those affairs or maybe we learn to be better collaborators with one another as a first step for, now. for sure yes well that's the right tone and that's an organic conversation i'm helga helber and i'm sita rani palomar we're so happy you're listening, and we'll be back with another episode next week. See you then. Bye. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. 
An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.